0: My name is Elizabeth Boykiewicz. My friends call me E.B., so that means you can call me E.B. as well. I am so glad you're here. I spent the last 20 years in entertainment, first working in casting for theater, TV, and film. Most recently, I was the head of casting and talent while helping build two TV networks and brands at the Walt Disney Company. I am a leadership coach and facilitator. I am a mindfulness guide, and I am a human being trying my best to human well. I dig all things around growth, creativity, curiosity, and storytelling. I realized there wasn't a place where actors could get to know casting directors and ask questions for free, so here we are. We collected over a hundred questions from actors, and we'll be answering them alongside a different casting colleague each episode. A giant. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions. Links to submit a question for the podcast and our guests can be found in the notes section of each episode. I hope this supports and encourages you on your acting journey. I love you. Keep going. The world needs your voice and your creativity. Welcome to Off Book. In my over two decades of casting, I have had very little experience in voiceover casting, so I wanted to bring on a seasoned voiceover casting director for you guys. Big thanks to manager and producer Bradley Bricken for making the connection to Sarah Jane Sherman. Sarah is an Emmy winning voice director, and a three-time Emmy-nominated casting director. She is currently casting and or voice directing on projects for Apple, Netflix, DreamWorks, Nickelodeon, Disney TV Animation, Fox, Cartoon Network, Comedy Central, Warner Brothers, Adult Swim, and HBO Max. And further to how Hollywood is the smallest town in America, (laughs) once we connected, we realized we have a very, Close friend in common. Sarah's dear friend and her college roommate is a dear friend of mine and a development executive that I worked with for years and years. So as we got rolling in this conversation, it started to feel like talking to an old casting friend. I love this conversation. I hope you do too. How are you doing? I am great. How are you?
1: Good. Good to see you.
0: Good to see you. Great. Thank you so much for doing this. We have a lot of friends in common. And I started thinking as I started doing this podcast, how interested I was in the voiceover casting process, what that looks like now. It's probably one of the casting processes you will let me know that hasn't changed as much. During the pandemic, I would love to hear how you got started, where you grew up, what your relationship was to entertainment and what got you into this crazy part of the business.
1: Yeah, happy to answer that. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. Went to school at Syracuse University, studying television, radio and film. Knew as soon as I graduated in May, I was going to move out to Los Angeles in June. It was always the plan. Growing up, I was someone that watched the credits in all of the TV shows that I watch and see the producers. I knew the lineup of all the main channels, 7 to 11 at night. What was playing was just always so interested in it and knew that television specifically was my passion. I moved out here and got what I thought was a dream job as a production assistant for Steven Bochco, who at the time was doing NYPD Blue. My parents were huge LA Law fans. They were lawyers. So that was a TV show that they watched. On the regular i remember seeing steven bochko's violin at the end of the show so getting to do a job that my parents were excited about and could hear about too and i would call back telling stories from home i felt like i made it i was a pa for steven Botchko. i made it in holly <laughs> and then worked my way from there it wasn't till a couple years later that i fell into the children's animation i followed an executive as her assistant and then she gave me my first Executive assistant job at Disney Television Animation, then as a development executive, working as a coordinator too, and worked my way up to Disney and then switched from development to casting. I got to learn how to cast an animated show at Disney Television Animation. The best, I would say. And worked my way up through there and then joined the freelance world.
0: It's so interesting that you had the experience working in development first before going into casting. Of course, I think casting is the most important thing.
1: Yes, of course it is. (laughs) Of course it it is.
0: Would you talk a little bit about the process? I did work on a couple things where we needed to animate, but. I do not know the world at all and how it works. I remember playing tapes and telling my executives, close your eyes, (laughs) look at what the character looks like, and now close your eyes. There's so many interesting things that you're keying into when you're casting a voice. So it's a big question. Let's start small. Sorry, I'm throwing a lot at you. So let's say you have a pilot to cast. Talk about what your process is from the beginning to the end.
1: I will speak generally on how to cast an animated pilot because every single pilot, will have its own intricacies. Our executive producers, the showrunners will have their own intricacies as So I have to adjust my process to fit their needs. But overall, I will meet with the creative team and get an idea of the vision of what they are looking for in their characters. Have them pitch me the pilot episode, Sometimes they take me through storyboards. Sometimes they have what's called an animatic where they have moving pictures and not fully animated with some scratch voices or temp voices, wherever they are in the process, keying me in and what they're looking for. And then as a casting director, I have to decide, am I finding the voices that are in their head or putting the voices in their head, which are two separate missions, if that makes sense. That's
0: interesting. It does. Yeah, say more about that.
1: So it's either, you know, they're trying to describe something to me And I'm going to try to throw a bunch of things to find that exactly. Or here is generally what I'm going for. Find me the voice that fits that, if that makes sense. Yes. They'll get me sides, sample lines of dialogue that I'm then going to send out to uh, voice agents or even some on-camera agents, range of talent that I work with and know. They will record MP3s, dialogue only, audio only. We don't need video or anything, just their lines. And they will send it back to me. You talked about putting things on tape. <laughs> like when I first started too, we would get CDs of these auditions, yes. which I've just dated myself. But now I get my MP3s, get my digital files, maybe about a week later or so. And then I start sifting through them. For me personally, I like to do a yes, no, and maybe file files. Because I don't know... If the first audition I'm listening to is the very best or the very worst, I don't know where I am. So I start to sift things into a yes. This is definitely in the ballpark of what they're looking for. Maybe not quite right, but there's something there that interests me. It's either a really funny take or the voice is really unique or the acting is just really something I haven't heard before. Very surprising and it caught my attention, but isn't quite what they asked me for. And then I have no's. Usually it's about 20 to 25 auditions in the yes and the maybe, and then the rest go in no's. So that's what I narrow down, 500 to about 20 or 25 in each of those two folders. I will send those along to my creative team, my showrunner, my executive producer. I like to give a lot of transparency in what I've done. I send them all three folders, even the no's. A lot of times people won't send the no's because it's not worth their time. I like to send along the no folders as well, Because sometimes they have a friend who said, oh, I read for your project, and they want to scan the names and see if their friend is in there and see where it is. Or just want to take a quick gander at the nose and see if there is anyone that they might know or want to just take a listen to. And then, depending on the show's process, we'll do callback auditions during pandemic. A lot of times are remote. There's Zoom callback auditions. And usually about 15 to 15 minutes to a half an hour each, where we put the actor through their paces, make sure they can take direction, make sure that they're still funny, just see how their voice sounds, make sure that we get along with them. They're nice people. We like working with good people. And then we narrow it down. to Hopefully our top one to three actors per role sends it up the ladder for approval. They say, amazing job, Sarah. You found exactly what I'm looking for. And that's it. And it's done. You're
0: a genius, Sarah. You've done it again.
1: (laughs) That happens every time. Every single time.
0: (laughs) It's so interesting hearing you talk about the process. I'm curious from your point of view, what makes you, and correct my question, because I think I'm not going to ask it right. What I'm thinking about is when actors come in for live action, things. Them walking into the room and how they conduct themselves there is so much a part of the audition too, right? That's how they're making their first impression. Where it's so interesting in voiceover. So what catches you when you're listening to a tape? Is it a quality of voice? Can you define it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I will add before I even start that when we do callback auditions, it's the same thing. We are still looking for that. I mean, it's, it can be both a positive and negative how you act when you first come in. I have, a story of an actor came in and made a bunch of silly jokes right off the bat. My executive producer turned to me before the audition even started and said, this person's not me. Yeah. And that doomed them right from the start. Right.
0: And thinking about you're in a booth with these creators and if you're not getting it, it can be pressurized. So to your point, it has to be someone who can take it in stride, not have a short fuse, all those type of things. Yeah.
1: To answer your other part of your question, what I'm looking for, listening for rather, first thing, for the right vocal quality. If I'm casting a nine-year-old girl and you sound like a 40-year-old man, I know that you're not gonna be right. So having the right vocal quality, I'll keep listening to the audition. Good acting, I'll continue to listen to the audition. Funny, I'll continue still listening to the audition. Most of the shows that I work on are comedic, so I'm always looking for funny actors. That's what keeps me listening. You mentioned voices that we've heard before. There's a reason they hired a casting director. There's names that everybody knows and they could bring in certain voices, but they are looking to the casting director to find something unique, to find something different, who is not in every single cartoon, who is not playing a similar role in another cartoon, who is not the lead in a competitor's cartoon. Finding new talent who might be right for the role that's maybe slightly undiscovered or isn't oversaturated in the market.
0: When you talk about being in a competitor's show, is there exclusivity in VO contracts?
1: There isn't, but for example... Disney might not want the same teen lead as Nickelodeon, yeah, <laughs> yeah but there's no, and with it, especially at Disney, we were on day player contracts for the most part. I don't know what it is now because I've left a couple of years ago, but it was all day players. And there was also a fun time where I don't know if you call it the same way, but a lot of times we were encouraged to find animated roles for our live action talent and keep it in the family, yes, in some ways, too.
0: Yes, yeah, there was definitely a point where they wanted to start finding work in all the different places for people to keep them busy and happy and well paid. Yes. Yeah. So if it is day player contracts, how is it policed is the wrong word, but is it something that's known within the industry that the agent would call to you and say, Hey, Sarah, listen, so-and-so has an offer on this other thing. And they just give you a heads up about it. Or is it known if you do it then like, how is it handled?
1: It's tricky. You'd want an agent to say that, but if you think about it, the agent would want them on both shows.
0: Of course. Yep.
1: If there was the chance, right? So hope that you would know and bring your finger on the pulse of what's going on or your ear to the ground of knowing what shows are coming down our competitors' pike and who they're thinking of casting. But it does get tricky and it does happen. I, as a freelancer, currently do work for competing networks and I'll see because I'm like oh I work on that show and I also work on this show and I could see the actor is reading the lead on this is reading for the lead on that right so it, it's a tough one but I hope the agent would tell me and I hope that I have the relationships they would tell me I hope that and then I hope I would know um, then there is a little bit of a leeway you have with pilot production meaning that a lot of shows don't go straight to series there is that pilot first and you can get a sense when maybe a pilot is announced and you have room to either change gears if you need to, when you go to series, should that be a major issue? Or sometimes an announcement is made when the show goes to series, who the leads are and then, oh, okay, we're about to start ours. Do we care it's about that? I'm sure
0: you've heard this a million times. I heard it so many times. Someone saying, oh, my, my husband has the best voice. He should be in voiceovers. Like, how does he get into it? What do you do when people start bugging you and saying, oh, I want to get into voiceovers. What should I do?
1: Yes, I I hear that a lot, (laughs) typically even more so during the pandemic. Live action shuts down, many people pivot to animation and voiceover, and not just talent, not just actors all sorts of people who are ever, I've always been interested in voiceover. Let me get into voice. I also do coaching and that business boomed. Everyone was like, "Let me learn how to do it. Let me learn how to do it." What I always tell people is take an acting class first. I mean, I'm talking like my eye doctor is, like, "I'm interested in doing voice or whatever the case is." Every single person has an interest in cartoons are fun. I want to join. My kids would like it. My family would love it. So I always suggest take an acting class first, take an improv class first, or whatever the case is. Study the craft. It is not just about doing funny voices. Like, yes, it's great maybe if you can do an impression, but that's not going to get you a whole series or be able to have you carry a series. It's got to be that acting and that training as well. And if they get past that and actually do some of that stuff, then... (laughs) I can start working with them and really help guide them into the industry. But so many people are like, I have a funny voice. I want to do this. Also, the trend nowadays is real voices. So many people are just using their natural voices. A lot of things are not really cartoony. Those are cartoony performances are really on the outskirts, maybe about 10 to 20% of the auditions that I see. It's real, it's grounded, and you don't have to have a crazy out there voice to do it. It is really about the talent and comedy.
0: That is so interesting. Because we heard years ago, it started, you know, it's an over overused buzzword, authenticity, authenticity, audiences want authenticity. So it's so interesting to hear, too, how that's transferred to even
1: animated casting. Yeah, exactly. It definitely has. Everyone's like, I don't want wacky out there voices. There are some shows that certainly do and have that, but real grounded. It's also interesting, I also have to stress, is that we say real voices, but it doesn't necessarily have to be your real voice. It could be just a voice that sounds real and grounded and authentic. For example, you give an accent. It doesn't have to be, no, I just want your exact natural voice, how you would speak when you wake up in the morning, that right. kind of thing.
0: I had a friend recently, she had worked on the production side. She had done a lot of live action stuff, and now she works in animation. And Sarah, she said she's never been so happy because she has found that a lot of the creators – and the showrunners that work in animation, they love it so much. So she's working with people that love it. So her day, by and large, if she's comparing the two, working in animation has been really lovely and really rewarding because she's working with people that are passionate about what they're doing, that love the stories they're telling, that love the characters that they've made in a different way than, um, I don't know what it is. Maybe some ego or some weirdness can come in in the live action stuff. I thought that was so interesting that she was saying it's so much more of a rewarding and pleasant experience for her working in animation.
1: Yeah, it is a great place. The people are wonderful, and you tend to work with a lot of the same people because it's everyone really gets to know each other. It does become a family and a community, and is very supportive. I don't know if this happens in live action, but for example, if I mention a role to an actor and they don't think they're right for it, they will mention another actor that is right for it, it's nice. which is nice. And, at the end of the day, whenever I get really stressed out, because I do get really stressed out, because I'm that kind of person, I stop and I say, "We're making cartoons." <laughs> yep. We're making cartoons, and I, there's this term we always use that always ends up happening. It's a cartoon emergency. <laughs> it kind of makes you laugh and stop and think, okay. But and when it really comes to play, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this too, but when I worked at Disney, be working on these cartoons and be like really working hard and be very serious, and then you would do something like go to Disneyland. You would see people wearing the shirts or seeing the characters walking around and the people actually enjoying them. And Oh yeah, that's why I do this. I forgot. Yep, I lost my, yes. <laughs> my North Star for a moment and yes. now I'm back with you.
0: It's super easy to losing one's North Star in casting too because casting folks are so much a part of the process in the early process, helping Author, for lack of a better term, but really helping make who these characters are. So many different levels of casting are so similar. When you were saying that you need to figure out if the creator is looking for a voice that sounds like X or the specific voice. There's so many different levels as a casting person that your brain is working on. And it is very easy to lose the North Star because there's a lot of pressure on it and you want to deliver. And there's a lot of things to juggle in casting at all times. Do you have a certain type of project that you really know you're going to have fun working on? Do you have a preference when you're working on animated things?
1: I think I really strive to diversify my day in that I work on preschool shows where I help two-year-olds learn to count. And then in the afternoon, we're swearing in our shows. And so it's funny, just that range that keeps me engaged and excited because I can kind of have that variety. And I can't wait for my IMDb to reflect that a little bit more because animation takes so long. My IMDb is a year behind or two yes. years behind because nothing is has aired yet. But for me diversification on the types of projects that I work on is key to keep my brain going and making sure I'm not dipping from the same pool of actors. And then I can of There's a spot for everybody if you work on a lot of different types of shows.
0: Yeah. In animation casting, do you have to deal with people falling out at the last minute? How did COVID affect animation? Yes, but
1: not as badly because if we're only hiring people on day players and maybe they can't make it for their one day, their one session. If they get sick, we cancel it. We lose money on studio time for a couple hours. But maybe at the most, we lose four hours of studio time and I can fill another actor in at the last minute at the same rate. The good news is people aren't having to memorize lines. Ideally, they've read the script, but they can just come in and read the script and we can talk them through it in the performance. It isn't as dire as it probably was for live action with cancel the whole day, shut down the shoot. People just do other things. (laughs)
0: <laughs> right, and so many other actors is predicated on that one actor being there. You could, you can make the quick adjustments in it. So, talk to me about your coaching and your teaching. How did that come about, and how has that been for you?
1: That's a great question. Asking about the coaching, thank you. So, I'd always done a class here and a class there throughout my casting career, but then when I ended up in the freelance world, I looked and said, okay, how can I make an impact on this industry? What can I do? What services could I provide? What are my strengths? I ended up with three different facets I wanted to follow, casting, voice direction, and coaching. And coaching, at the time, probably 50% coaching and then 50% the others. But then as my world of casting has grown, as my world of voice direction has grown, whenever I have a free, whenever an actor cancels, a show cancels, they don't need me, then I just fill the day with coaching or wherever I can and do some classes here and there. A lot of private. A lot of audition coaching, not for the shows that I work on, but for other shows, obviously. I try to be very specialized in what I teach. I am not a fellow actor. I teach what a casting director is looking for to create a standout audition. I will coach on how to make your audition pop. What is something you could do that nobody else is doing how to break through the noise 500 auditions how do you get in that 25 yes folder and then I just started this class because I saw there was a need for it which I'm really excited about this class and I'm still developing it I only taught it once to adults and then once to kids what's called more than words all of the other things that you're asked to do in a voiceover record that is not actually dialogue okay now I'm gonna need your character to be spun around in circles slam against the wall slide down the wall and then pass out and then vocalizing that I need your character to be sleeping I need your character to be have the flu I need your character to whatever the case is and describe it all of those extra sounds you would make that are not words I'm really getting a kick out of that as well because I think that's an untapped skill that a lot of people don't necessarily have right away and they're asked at every single record to do and it's that moment of oh my gosh what does that sound like I don't know (laughs) <laughs> and then being able to do that in character.
0: That's so smart. As you're describing it, I'm thinking of all of the animated things I watch, and that's at least 50% of what you're doing, if not more.
1: Yeah, especially, for example, I am working on a show that centers on wrestling, and a lot of the actors that we have are not wrestlers, and they are playing wrestlers, and they are having to give me, okay, now I need you to body slam somebody. Now you are the one getting body slammed. Now you're going to jump off the ropes and land on someone, do a forward roll, and then pin them down. They have to make sounds for all of that. And it's it's really interesting to kind of step back and see all that goes into it. It's all the stage direction. You know, none of it is written out as dialogue. It's all, here's the action in the stage direction. And the voice director guides you along and, and helps you do that, bring that to life.
0: I love that. What are you looking for when you're asking for that? That someone is game and inventive and they'll do it? I would imagine there's going to be directing tweaks, but what is the initial thing that you're looking for with it?
1: Inspiration for the artists. Yeah. I'm going to describe it. They're going to then act it out and then land it. And then the artist might hear it and then draw it out. The other way we also do it is if we have an animatic, that rough picture, we show them the animatic and they do what's called chase it. And they watch the animatic, I imagine similar to live action, and then give it all the sounds of what goes along. Okay, here's the fight scene. You watch your character and give all the sounds of them getting beat up and them throwing punches or whatever the case is as you're watching it. So believability, again, it's always that authenticity. If it's a cartoony show, you can give kind of these wacky kind of sounds, (laughs) but if it's not, it's dialing into real, whoa, just grounding your voice even more to that performance
0: every network every place has different brands are there specific brand things that you can recognize if you saw a disney pre-k cartoon next to a nickelodeon pre-k cartoon are there things that you would be able to recognize as being particular parts of brands or
1: or so a decade ago now lines are being blurred because you have things like netflix which don't have brands hulu even showing a bunch hbo max showing a bunch i mean Yes, you have your Disney, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network and others, but Cartoon Network is evolving with the merger of Warner Brothers and maybe more Warner Brothers stuff is coming on, or maybe they're pulling back and doing more preschool stuff. There was a time at Disney where they started to get a little edgier and tried some new things. That was true, I would say, more a decade ago for brands. But what I can tell you the difference between a preschool show versus an adult show, that's where I can see the difference. So more demographic and less so brands. Because I think brands are really evolving now and are yes. kind of ming- mixing. Executive producers have their own style and they're going from network to network. The that does a show for Cartoon Network isn't going to change their style of an animated show when they go to Disney as much, but Disney might buy it. And so their look might be the same. And then they go to Netflix, where it comes in as demographics, where you can see this really looks like a young, in the way it's written, is a young preschool show. The script is only... 13 pages as opposed to a West West Wing 60 pages worth rapid fire dialogue. They're talking slower and the dialogue is simpler and the artwork is maybe a little bit more colorful and more engaging as opposed to longer scripts for the more adult, fast talking artwork could be more realistic, things like that.
0: Do you use a breakdown services type thing when you cast a show?
1: I don't. I just send it out to the agents, I know. I'm always looking to add new agents who have union actors onto my distribution list, but I send it out to agents directly.
0: And are there hallmarks on the things that you sent out that someone that's auditioning would then be able to tell, oh, describing demographics, so I need to make sure I'm slowing down in the way I speak I'm showing a lack of really, no, really I, understanding I the casting process. I'm curious to know, are there things, if you're only getting sides for live action actors, these are the ways you can tell. I'm wondering if there are any tells in voiceover scripts that are good rules of thumb for people that are auditioning for them.
1: That's a great question. I, I think not always. Sometimes, I mean, they're able to tell you maybe where it's airing or the executive, who the executive producer is. Sometimes that... will teach you i mean i mentioned west wing so it's like aaron sorkin's probably not gonna be doing a preschool show type thing but maybe do an adult animated political comedy type thing hopefully the casting director will write in what they're looking for and give as much information as they can i'm sure you know this as well my hands are tied with the amount of information they want me to give out nowadays yeah so much is tied up we don't want to actually say the title so here's a code name for the show Okay, we don't actually want to announce where it's going to be aired. So we're going to say major streaming service. Okay, we don't actually want, I mean, there's just so much that they're restricting these days. I try to get out as much as I can, but sometimes you have to infer whatever you can from the dialogue that is given from how it's written.
0: And is that because they don't want leaks? That's what was happening in live action was they didn't want to share it because they didn't want things leaked. Is it the same thing for VO?
1: Yeah, there's that exactly. So if I'm working on a Marvel show, I won't even say the code name title. I'll say it is a Marvel show and I'll give that. And then the agents know that I am not giving any more information than that.
0: That's all you're getting.
1: Yeah. That's all you're (laughs) getting, but yeah, there is just so much secrecy because as people are working things out, especially because so much right now I've seen is reboots and spinoffs and they're just not wanting to share that right now.
0: Yeah. Sarah, what do you love about what you
1: do? What I love about what I do is I love finding new voices. That's an easy one. Someone that maybe has never even thought of doing animation voiceover and is perfect for it. I love doing that. I love when I coach and I unlock something in someone's brain, unlocking that moment for on-camera actors when they realize oh my gosh, this is acting. I should still do the stuff I do when I break down an on-camera script where I still have to picture my blocking and still get the physicality and picture who I'm talking to. It isn't just reading the words in a funny voice and kind of watching that moment click. I like watching that come together for people. And then I do love seeing the final product about how these voices that we've helped find define these characters and become the characters. I think that's really exciting.
0: I love that. And it's so interesting to hear you say that acting is acting and auditioning is auditioning. The more specific, informed choices you can make on the material, the better the audition's going to be.
1: Absolutely. Specificity is key. I always preach that. Thank you for bringing that up. If you do not have a clear idea of what your character is doing, the listener can hear that. That's why we always say that a wrong choice is better than no choice. I wasn't sure what they wanted, so I just didn't decide either. And it's when they make choices, I mean, we brought people in with, oh, so did you like the voice I did? No, we didn't like any of that, but you were so funny. We, we wanna play with you. Or we loved your acting, we wanna try this. Because you want the listener to be able to visualize what you're visualizing based off of your vocal performance. To perform the lines in such a way that maybe the animator or the person who created the show, who is a artist, who's a visual thinker, can draw immediately for your performance. That's your chance to give your artistic impression on the show.
0: It's interesting, too, a couple different things that I'm thinking about how important voice is for actors. I spoke to a casting director recently that was saying the big advice they have for young actors, meaning green in their career, that come here is get in a voice class, right? Figure figure out how to use that part of your instrument. I'm also reminded, they're two separate ideas, but they're somehow coming together for me. I saw Ticket to Paradise, the George Clooney, Julia Roberts movie this weekend. And I went and saw it with a friend who works in mixing for dialogue. And he's also the guy that they'll call in if, I don't know, there's a plane flying overhead when they got the perfect shot. He goes in and fixes. And he was saying he's listening to the movie and experiencing the movie in a different way than I am. I'm looking at... The actors, the new ones I don't know, all these great faces. And he said to me afterwards that the way it was mixed, He's I love the edges of a voice as it's starting and and as it's ending. There's always like an edgy part in a voice. And... The way he was explaining it to me was whatever software they used in that, it was so clean and clipped, everything in that movie, sound-wise for him. The movie felt a little sterile to me. I was missing a little bit more of an oomph to it, and I started thinking that's so interesting. I Maybe some of that, too, is like for me who's not listening to voice or sound, but my body recognized that there was not quite places for me to hold on to. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I've just it's just interesting that a lot of those things have been popping up for me recently of all of the different parts, but the voice is so important and tells us so many things about the energy you're really bringing into a room. Yep. Right? And where you really are and how grounded you are and how present you are and all of those things that are very important, no matter what type of acting job you're doing.
1: Absolutely. And the things that go along with it, like the laugh you decide to give your character, says so much about the character or the little nuances or affectations that go into the vocal quality. There's a lot. There's a lot that goes in there that, yeah, your body certainly recognizes it and you infer a lot just from the tones that you hear.
0: Yeah, it's so fascinating. I love learning about this. Thank you for sharing this. Yeah. Uh, As an audience member, what are you loving? What do you watch? What do you listen to? What's on your roster right now?
1: It's funny because... I tend to do the opposite of what I do all day. Like when my kids are watching cartoons, for example, yeah, I'll pay attention to it, but I notice I start working and I don't disengage. For me, I like to do the opposite. Succession, which is the antithesis of a preschool counting Yes. (laughs) Yes. Whatever the case is, I'll do a lot of that, like the dramas on HBO or Showtime type thing, heavy stuff, (laughs) true crime.
0: (laughs) Are you watching American (laughs) Gigolo?
1: No, I haven't seen that. What's that? Oh my
0: God. They remade American Gigolo into a series, but it's on Showtime and it's starring John Bernthal. And it's like Leland Orser and Gretchen Maul and Sandrine Holtz and Wayne Brady. Anyway, it's a little bit darker. It's on Showtime. I don't know anyone else who's watching it. So when you said that, I was like, maybe Sarah can discuss it with me. Put that on your list for things that are a little darker and more true crime. It starts with him being let out of jail because he was framed for a murder. And then he's trying to put that together. I
1: love it. I'll check it
0: out. I know they're very successful scripted casting directors. The only thing they can tolerate is Real Housewives, right? Yes. And we are complete human beings. (laughs) I am, I'm a nut about listening to podcasts since they started in 2005. Right now, I'm loving everything. Like, I'm watching everything. You're from Baltimore. Of course, you're going to be attracted to those type of shows. Of course. Have you ever had the experience where you will hear a voice on something and go, wait, who's that? Let me find them. I want to audition them.
1: Yes, all the time. All the time. I watch television with IMDb up pretty much.
0: Are you able to enjoy it, the show?
1: Yes, I love storytelling and I love great content that sometimes I will get wrapped up in the, the show of it all. Like funny things will happen where I'll be casting a role and someone will pitch an actor on a show that I love and watch all the time and I'm like what am I doing like why wouldn't I like why didn't I think of that person I watch this is my show but it's because I can fall in love with the storytelling and let the actor become that character for the time being I can separate and then oh wait that's my job and I can look them up and that kind of thing but yeah I can enjoy it I can watch television but I do do my share of real estate shows where I don't have to work and think, and I'm constantly just watching reality, yeah. selling sunset and things like that. Yeah. I
0: don't think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did. Yesterday, I started dipping into the, the one that's trying to get buying out.
1: Beverly Hills. Thank you. The just started that one as well. Well.
0: Yes. <laughs> started, I started just it started last yesterday. night. Here's what's yeah. great about those shows. I put it on my TV room and then I get up and I go into my kitchen and I just start cooking dinner. I can miss a bunch and I'm just right there three episodes later.
1: Yep. <laughs> Yep, I'm with you, exactly that, and I don't have to think, and yeah, I'm not casting any of those people at the moment, so I can just turn my brain off.
0: Are you a bling empire woman?
1: Yes. Have you you watched the latest season? No. Oh my gosh. I just got two shows mixed up. I am a Bling Empire person. I'm totally caught up there. But then in my head, I went to Bling Ring, which is a totally different show and a totally different thing. But I've also started watching that as well. So apparently anything with Bling in the title, I'm there. But yeah, Bling Empire, I'll watch that as well. I
0: love it. I just, yeah,
1: there's too many things to watch. It's ridiculous how much content there is and the fact going back to what I was saying earlier is you can say a show and I could have never heard of it and that when I was growing up that would never happen again because I knew everything that was on television all the time and when people like oh this is a new show for IMDB oh it's a new show from Roku oh it's a new show that McDonald's is producing it's banana that bananas that content is coming from everywhere yes food companies are doing series Yes. I mean, it's crazy.
0: And democratization of it because if those places have money and they're getting good scripts, they'll get the actors, they'll get the voices. There are a lot of shows now that have big name talent in it that we've never heard of. And that's what I find really interesting about it for a long time. like. When you're talking about when we were growing up, I knew what every single listing was when every single show was on. That was just in my brain, burned in my brain. I knew what every single thing was and now not so much. Like this weekend I went to Vulture has a What to Watch Now on all the separate streaming services. It's in different guides and I was looking at them and I I can't keep track. (laughs) I can't. Even when I have it written in front of me, I still don't know what half of the things are.
1: Yeah, because it used to be in the newspaper, it's like a weekly thing that would say for the week. Okay, got it.
0: Yes. What were some of your favorites when you were little? My parents were strict, so I am very much a Sesame Street, but show Mr. Rogers and then Little House on the Prairie.
1: Those are great. Those are great. It's funny because when I think of my TV watching heyday, it was when I was in middle school, When I would be babysitting and the kids would go to bed and I would watch Golden Girls, Empty Nest, TGIF, Saved by the Bell. Those kind of shows are what burned in my brain for my youth. Like, I can't picture, like Sesame Street, yes, and seeing that, but I can't picture the real young stuff. What I remember is the stuff you see on syndication. Sarah, Empty
0: Nest is such a (laughs) deep cut. It is such a deep cut. Was it Richard Mulligan? Is that who the yes. lead is of that? Richard Mulligan. It was like his, yet. and it was his daughters, right? His grown daughters that came back, right? Yeah.
1: Oh my but it's god! Like, I don't even relate to that. Like it's just like, why would a twelve-year-old be like so shit?
0: By the way, because that's what was on WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah. And what that age that was workplace like.
1: comedies. I thought or night again, Bourbon girls. It wasn't night, night, night court. court. Yes, night court. Oh my God,
0: I've got to go, and I'm going to go on an empty nest, deep dive. This is 1988, and it was Christy McNichol, Richard Mulligan, Dinah Manhoff, that's right. Yep. Park overall.
1: Yeah, I can picture the credits. I can picture the credits. And like, I even think about like yellow, big yellow or letter.
0: Wasn't this a spinoff from Golden Girls?
1: Yes, I think so. But that was also when they would have TV on Saturday nights, like new television. Now they don't really do new TV on Saturday nights yeah, so much, but. Oh my gosh, I mean, that's so funny. Way.
0: That's so, so yeah. good. I love it. I love that you reminded me of Empty Nest.
1: But even, don't you remember the TGIF lineup too? Did you watch that with Family Matters, Full House? can't think of what, Mr. Step Belvedere. By, step by Step. Step by Step. Yeah, all those. So that's what I remember when I think of my childhood. And that's where I remember watching all sorts of credits. I can picture how it all looks and the the different producer logos at the end. Like I could see all that in my head.
0: What made you happy this week?
1: My assistant got married over the last week. So it was a very stressful week. She came back today. So I was very happy. She came <laughs> back this morning after being gone two weeks. She can get my life organized, but you know, it's it's funny. Things are wrapping up. I, while it's always sad when shows end, I also get a check of accomplishment. When I actually have wrapped uh, two series recently that have run their course and have done multiple seasons, and so I, I feel good about those and kind of package signed, sealed, and delivered. So I feel very good about that. Also, I'm excited for the upcoming holidays, which I feel like we're sprinting towards. I tried to take a vacation over the summer, and what's hard is that. You take a vacation, but the industry doesn't shut down over the summer people are still going full steam. But when it comes time, November and December, people actually do take time off and you can actually stop and recharge. I'm also looking forward to taking a week off at Thanksgiving and then hopefully some time at the end of the year as well. Do you
0: host Thanksgiving or do you go elsewhere?
1: We're going to host this year out in the desert. And I'm really excited about that. Jen is going to be there. Our common friend, Jen, will be at the Thanksgiving. And we all work together and it isn't, we make it less stressful. We make it more about the kids and the family as opposed to don't burn the turkey. That kind of I
0: think that's the way to do it. That's the way I do it with my group, which is everyone makes their best thing.
1: Yep. So everyone
0: yep. eats really well. And I love when everyone can contribute yep. something,
1: right? So of their like, tradition, their, yeah, makes it important for them. Yeah. It's that Halloween to New Year's sprint. That is everyone's trying to get what they can before everybody goes out of town and just get as much stuff out as you can go okay break <laughs>
0: yeah yeah you have two littles too so you get to enjoy them in a special way too
1: yeah it's funny because part of our team our group wanted to go to a just scrap it all and just go to a restaurant and it's just really hard for young kids to do a thanksgiving dinner at a restaurant we takes a lot of time so it's better at home we could eat in stages and yeah yeah <laughs>
0: That's so nice. Thank you so much for your time. This has been so interesting.
1: Thank you for your time. This was a lovely conversation. I forgot that we were being recorded. I felt like I was chatting with my old friend here.
0: I love it so much. Before we get off, I just want to check in with you. Is there anything that I didn't ask or something you'd like to highlight for people that are coming into auditions, something that you would like to share about your corner of the business?
1: I think if I were to talk about one other thing I want to bring up is the really the encouragement of getting more diversity in the actors that voice our roles and just encouraging more people to get out there and try voiceover and to get into the business. Cause I think there, there is that push. I was having coffee with a friend actually this morning and we were talking about that a a lot of companies are afraid for new IP and are kind of leaning on to bring back old shows or reboots and things like that. And When those shows were originally done, there was a lack of diversity in all of those shows. And when they bring them back, people are really trying to get these shows to be more diverse, bring them up to 2022 being a real representation of what's out there. The point is I'm always just trying to talk about and make an issue of and point out that we do need more diversity and that fans can see a way accepting it because it's coming in where it should be.
0: I love that you brought that up. There were actors that were very successful in voicing and then step down because I am not the right voice, the right person to represent this character. That is not who I am. Representative casting and inclusion, no matter where it is across the board. I'm curious, do you feel like companies or showrunners are afraid to do that because they don't want the pushback from the audience? Are you finding that maybe some people are scared of that?
1: I'm not finding that people are scared. I'm finding that there is not a lot of diversity in our leadership and people cast what they think they know. Yeah. So when I think about why I just brought all this up and what I'm trying to leave actors with, I think one of the notes that I would like to leave actors with is there is a huge push for diversity. And if they specify in the breakdown that they are looking for a person of color, that white actors could step back and not audition for it. I think that is one thing that could help.
0: It's a really good point. And it's one that's made its way all over the industry. When animated series are up and running, is there a writer's room or
1: there's a writer's room. there can be writers' room for sure, especially in the adult stuff. But we're still fighting the good fight. I mean, the biggest issue sometimes we do have as casting directors is we will cast a certain person for a role. And then the character designer will design the characters. And then in trying to get a a good representation of the the world that's out there, we'll assign different ethnicities to people. And then our ethnicities don't match. The voices don't match the artwork any longer. And then we frantically try to make a switch or see if it makes sense. Because we want that Comic-Con panel to be just as diverse as the character design lineup and really have kids or adults seeing themselves in those cartoons and having that in those cartoons and having that representation.
0: Great to hear that is something that is now being considered, but it also sounds like it's a fairly recent thing for most productions.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So interesting.
1: (laughs) We could do a whole other hour. Let's
0: go. I love casting people. I love this process. And it's been, I think I'd shared with you on the phone, just the feedback from actors being like, Thank you. This conversation was really enlightening or made me feel good or gave me a little extra oomph or checked me on this thing that I was being unrealistic about. You clearly do, too, because you do it. I love teaching and sharing the information. I want everyone to have the information they can to have as best of a time they can supporting themselves as they're trying to make a living in this business. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and for hopping on and being game. I found this conversation so interesting and I'm sure. So, gonna... so
1: great. I hope we can do it again. Yeah.
0: <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on your assistant returning.
1: <laughs> thank you. And wishing you a great holiday season and you get you. some time to relax.
0: Thank you so much. I hope you have a delightful day today and share the love. Tell someone that you appreciate them. Tell them you're glad they exist. Thanks for listening. Please share this podcast on your socials and with any artists you think would dig it. And send me your questions. I have many more casting folks coming in to share with you all. See you next time.